0: the momentary in Benville presents grammy award-winning country band brothers osborne saturday july 15th live outdoors on the momentary green this concert is part of the momentary's live on the green concert series brothers osborne tickets on sale now at themomentary.org
1: good monday this is ozarks at large for june 26th 2023 I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, we offer a plan for enjoying a hot summer week without spending much money. And Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich brings us some of the voices and sounds of this weekend's Pride events in Fayetteville. First, World Refugee Day was observed last week. This year marks the highest number of displaced people on the planet since World War II, some 110 million people, according to numbers provided by the United Nations. Arkansas's sole resettlement agency, Canopy of Northwest Arkansas, also marked the occasion by highlighting some of their employees who've been affected by these refugee crises. Ozarks at
2: Large's Daniel Carruth brings us more. It's a balmy Tuesday afternoon as people crowd into the back conference room of the Canopy NWA office in Fayetteville. Fold-out tables are pushed to corners of the cream-colored room to make space as people hug and talk while they snack on chai, samosas, and West African-style donuts. On one table towards the entrance, a basket displays toiletries, tea, and a soccer ball.
3: We collect welcome kits,
4: which are kits
3: or tubs filled with items that families need when they arrive, and right now our highest demand, the kits that we need the most, Our r fun bedding kits, adult bedding kits, and our Welcome to NWA kits, which is one of our most fun kits, in my opinion. It has things like a soccer ball for kids to play with, notebooks, pens, pencils, and tea. So, yeah.
2: That's Amethyst Osborne, a co-sponsor coordinator at Canopy. And this is the organization's open house for World Refugee Day, a chance for the community to learn more about the work of resettlement. Jess Claire is the volunteer program manager for Canopy and helped set up today's event.
5: And so that was kind of the goal with this event was to both make the community feel more involved and also to like kind of make the community aware that there are lots of like businesses and organizations in the area that are led by refugees or led by folks from all around the world. Um, so we really want to give people kind of a taste for what we do. Um, but also give them the opportunity to kind of mingle with one another, mingle with the community, mingle with folks who resettled.
2: And since 2016, the agency has resettled over 500 refugees throughout Arkansas. Joanna Krause is the executive director of Canopy NWA and says the past couple of years have been extremely challenging for her organization which started with the turmoil from the U.S. evacuation and subsequent Taliban takeover of Afghanistan in 2021.
5: Canopy and all refugee resettlement agencies were never designed to to do crisis response. And that's what happened during the evacuation of almost 80,000 Afghans. It was a tremendously emotional, difficult, logistically difficult period. Um, we would receive notice. The shortest time frame that we got was notice on a Sunday that someone, a family was arriving at mon- on Monday and we had to be at the airport. So our staff have worked incredibly, incredibly hard to meet the need and respond to this humanitarian
3: crisis.
2: And Mursal Shirzad was one of those who fled Afghanistan after the Taliban took over.
3: For me, it's really like uh, life-changing. So I was studying in Kazakhstan through the United Nations and European Union scholarship. So in June 2021 I came to Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan to visit my family. But no one believes that the Taliban came. And I heard about the Taliban in my parents uh, talking about when they are the fir- uh, the first generation of when the Taliban first time came to Afghanistan, but never faced with the Taliban. So in August 15, when the Taliban came and raided Kabul, so everyone thought it was only survival to escape the life under this uh, this regime. And uh, everyone attempting to the airport, my family and I also came to airport to, to escape uh, the life under this rule. But uh, just me and my minor brother, we uh, can pass the border, we can pass the gate, because the Taliban root block and we separated from our fathers, mothers, and two younger siblings, that, uh, and we are sending to different countries.
2: Eventually, Shirzad and her brother landed in Germany and then came to Wisconsin before being connected with Canopy and moving to Arkansas.
3: So when we uh, arrived to the U.S., we don't know anyone and we don't have anyone to take care of us. And uh, when we uh, settled to Arkansas, so we don't know anyone except the uh, resettlement agency. So that was the most difficult part, that when you don't know the country that uh, you, uh, you came and you don't know that how to trust people and how to build your community and how to, uh, how to get used to the systems. So that's why that was the most difficult part of the experience as I uh, uh, came to the US.
2: And Krause says focus on the refugee crisis has been growing in the region, in part because of the war in Ukraine. Sasha Honcherinko came to Arkansas last May after seeking asylum through the National Uniting for Ukraine program, which helps Ukrainians with a sponsor in the U.S. remain in the country for at least a
6: two-year period. Because we've been in Jamaica, so far away from Ukraine, kind of close to, to the States, but at the same time it was like, okay, what what should we do? And we decided to leave like way in Panama uh, because my, wife, uh, my wife's parents, they have friends there. And we just lived with them for like three months. And we honestly didn't know what to do for three months. And honestly, one week before I arrived to the States, um, we heard about this program, uh, United for Ukraine, and we decided to apply for that and in like three days they like answered and they said like yeah you can come like welcome and we just like okay let's do that and we just bought tickets and I like honest, I arrived to the States and May 29 one year ago it was my birthday it was the kind of beginning of my new season in my life.
2: Honcharinko's wife is from Arkansas but the two met in Ukraine. Now both he and Shirzad work for Canopy. And Honcharinko says while he never thought he would come to the U.S. as a refugee, he believes the experience has sparked a desire to help other people fleeing conflict and disaster.
6: Personally, for me, it's an amazing opportunity to just help them to show this amazing, how amazing Arkansas and how amazing people here and kind of invite them to this like path to try to build this like home here.
2: And Krause says while Afghanistan and Ukraine have gained widespread attention, Canopy has been resettling people from areas all over the world since its inception.
5: Democratic Republic of Congo, Sudan, Guatemala, Colombia, um, and many other countries across the world. And we definitely want to have. People whose stories aren't represented in the media as frequently get the opportunity to do so. And it's not just through um, these emergency crisis situations where Canopy is serving folks or the traditional refugee resettlement programs where people may be in refugee camps. We also serve um, individuals who have gone through the asylum process.
2: In 2023, Canopy is on track to welcome close to 150 individual refugees, Shirzad says while resettlement is difficult she believes a welcoming community makes the process easier and helps these new neighbors become an asset to their new home.
3: Uh, the most important thing that uh, people should uh, should know more about refugees and have the knowledge of how to welcome them and how to assist them because they are, uh, for, uh, for some certain points, it's not like that they are coming as a uh, visitors or they are coming like uh, to spend some uh, short period of time. So that's important uh, to people to understand the refugees and why they are forced to flee their homes and to happily welcome them to settle it in their new home.
2: For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Daniel Carruth's stories are put together inside
0: the Karen Taha News Studio. For a year now, the KUAF Lunch Hour has been bringing you the best in local music and local food once a month here at the KUAF studios. Now we're taking it on the road. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. It begins in late July and will include three tiny desk style concerts that will take place at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These three concerts will lead up to a mini festival called Lunch All Day in September. Performances are set to include Steph Simon of Fire in Little Africa, country singer Joe West, and artist-designer Tylo May. Get ready for a summer of fun, music, and great food. The KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, begins July 28th. Keep listening to KUAF, your public radio station, for more details.
1: Shiloh Museum of Ozark History hosts Silk Road Presents, train station trios, songs, and stories of the American Railroad, Saturday afternoon at 3. The program is part of Silk Road's multi-year American Railroad Project, an initiative that illuminates the impact that immigrant communities had on the creation of the U.S. Transcontinental Railroad and connecting railways in North America. Tickets are available at shilohmuseum.org. Ahead on today's show, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History comes back to the Carver Center for Public Radio with archives. This time, the unusual history of an Arkansas County sheriff who acquired a large amount of influence.
7: You know, it was a, it was a dark time in eastern Arkansas history, and, you know, you, you had to be careful going into St. Francis County.
1: That's this week's tour of Arkansas history with Pryor Center Archives beginning in about eight minutes.
0: How many times have you said to a friend, I was listening to KUAF and heard this story? That's what KUAF is all about, the stories, news, and insights that make you stop and think and start your own conversations. There's something new to share every day, whether it's political analysis on Morning Edition, an inspiring guest on Ozarks at Large, or an insight into a current issue from All Things Considered. It's radio you want everyone you know to hear. And it's radio that exists thanks to the generous support of listeners like you. As we celebrate 50 years on the air in 2023, show how much you value KUAF by becoming a sustaining member today at supportkuaf.com.
1: We appreciate everybody who contributed to this public radio station. We heard from many of you this weekend when members of the KUAF staff were at the Fayetteville Farmers Market or... Many of you came by the Carver Center for Public Radio Saturday afternoon for a special Pride weekend lunch hour. More than 75% of our operating budget comes from listeners and local businesses, listeners like you. We use that support to bring you news from around the world and from around the block. We can continue to provide you with vital information about policy, culture, the economy, justice, the environment, equity, and more with your continued support, or if this happens to be the case, your first-time contribution. You can make your financial contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. We are just days away from ending our fiscal year, and we'd like to complete that financial year with the resources that allow us to continue to be your strong and independent source for news. You can make your contribution right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. Thank you. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Natural Resources Commission is approving just more than $700 million in funding for 122 water and wastewater projects. It's the largest allocation of funds awarded for water and wastewater in the state's history. According to a list provided by the department, Bentonville is receiving more than $97 million from the Clean Water State Revolving Loan Fund. The towns of Magazine, Heifel, West Fork, and Mountainburg each received between $1 and $2 million loans water projects. The ANRC approves and provides financial assistance to eligible Arkansas entities from five different programs through loans, loans with principal forgiveness, and grants. Arkansas Supreme Court Justice Rhonda Wood says her colleague Justice Robin Wynn will be sorely missed from the bench. Justice Wynn died last week. Justice Wood, who is seeking the chief justice position in the 2024 election, talked with Roby Brock on the television program Capitol View this weekend. She says she has intentional goals if elected as Arkansas's Supreme Court justice. She says technology could make the state's court systems easier to understand for citizens.
5: Using technology the right way and making sure that people can easily access the court and have, you know, little things like um, technology um, that they can go to a website, clearly understand this is the process. There's a lot of people don't go to court, you know, if they have a contractor issue or anything because they are intimidated by the court process. So just little things like having website templates for all the judges um, in different counties. People can say, I can go online, I can see this is a process, this is what we do.
1: She is running against her fellow Supreme Court Justice Karen Baker. And her full conversation with Roby can be seen at talkbusiness.net. Justice Baker is scheduled to speak with Roby early next month. Proposed changes to the intersection of Arkansas Highways 12 and 59 and Gentry will be the focus of an in-person public meeting tomorrow. The Arkansas Department of Transportation will host the session at the Gentry Public Library from 4 to 7 p.m. tomorrow. National Weather Service is projecting temperatures from the upper 90s to low triple digits later this week. Highs Wednesday and Thursday in the Arkansas River Valley are expected to reach 102 and 103 degrees, respectively. Highs will be around 98 or 99 in northwest Arkansas those same days. Eastern Oklahoma forecast to have highs around 101 Wednesday and Thursday. Tomorrow, not yet that hot, with highs tomorrow afternoon across the region between 93 and 96. The Bentonville Film Festival's top honor this year for narrative feature is going to the angry black girl and her monster, directed by Bomani story.
8: Your daughter has a
0: very disturbing obsession. What obsession? Death.
1: The film focuses on a teenager who believes death is a disease that can be cured. After the brutal murder of her brother, she embarks on a dangerous journey to bring him back to life. The festival is dedicated to championing women. Persons with disabilities, non-binary, LGBTQIA+, BIPOC, and API voices in media and entertainment. More than 75% of the competition program is comprised of women or gender non-conforming content creators. And Jordan West holds the new Arkansas Razorback shot put record. He held the old one, too. This weekend, West heaved the shot 68 feet, 1.5 inches at the trackwired Arkansas Grand Prix that took place at John McDonald Field. That broke his existing school record. The shot put record came after doing six rounds each of the hammer and discus earlier in the day, improving his career best in the hammer three times. West is fourth on the Arkansas all-time list with a mark of 170 and a half feet.
7: You know, it was a it was a dark time in Eastern Arkansas history, and you know you you had to be careful going into St. Francis County. I mean, you know, you had to keep your nose clean.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. We just heard a very ominous quote there. That was a little
9: scary, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's my old friend Guy Real, who back in the 80s was a reporter for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. He's a a professor now. But uh, he was talking about the corruption in the town of Forest City, specifically in the county of St. Francis. Eastern Arkansas. Eastern Arkansas. And, uh, you know, the last two weeks we've been talking about the controversy with a a rape and kidnapping.
1: Wayne Uh, Dumont, the convicted rapist.
9: Yes, convicted of the assault of a a four-city teenager. And the case gained national attention because while he was awaiting trial, he was out on bond. And as he said, someone broke into his house, two masked men, tied him to a—no, actually hog tied him Mm -hmm. and castrated him. Right. So let's go ahead and warn folks that we're going to be talking about some some fairly graphic details here, at least at the beginning. But um, this brought the national attention to this story. He was convicted— Sentence, and that, that's what we've done the last two right. weeks. And
1: if you didn't catch up, you can go to either the prior center website or kuf.com and hear yes. the rest of
9: the story there about Wayne Dumond. Right. But Sheriff Coolidge kindly gets involved in this uh, because um, Dumond and his supporters maintained that this was uh, an attack ordered by the sheriff, Coolidge Um Well, here's Guy Real um, talking about uh, the sheriff's role after the
7: castration. His testicles were removed from the scene uh, by Coolidge Connolly, who was the sheriff of St. Francis County at that time. And then I talked to a woman later on who um, said that she saw on Coolidge Connolly's desk Uh, Wayne Dumont's testicles, or at least that's what the sheriff said, in a uh, formaldehyde liquid in a jar, a glass jar. Um, And she witnessed these that the sheriff said were Dumont's testicles. This
1: anecdote, this story, this surrounding event became international news.
9: It did. It did. There, There were crews all over the world. All over Such the a town of, yeah. of, of Forest City. Um, witnesses came forward and said that on several occasions that those testicles in a jar and formaldehyde were brought out of a cabinet or brought onto the desk of the sheriff. And he was uh, boasting boasting, uh, according to them, that he said, this is what happens uh, to rapists in my county, and he called it his county. There were repercussions from his... um, Cavalier. Yes, thank um, you,
1: attitude toward this.
9: Yes. And um, And his wanton display of, yes. And it cost him Mm -hmm. uh, $150,000. Wayne Dumont from prison... Uh, sued the sheriff and won. Like I say, the uh, the judgment was for $150,000, which Wayne Dumont ended up using for his defense, and he ended up getting out, as we reported earlier.
1: The castration worked in Dumont's favor as he asked to get out of prison as well. It helped sway some popular opinion among some people
9: especially the governor at the time mike huckabee right who even said in an interview with ktv that you know he's been even if he did do it he's been through horrible yeah. uh, yeah, yeah injustices to him but um coolidge conley who was involved in all this was kind of known as uh i don't know if you would call a boss hog uh, ran the county influential to say the least and yeah that's that's being mild but um he had his own past that um you would not expect uh a government official especially a sheriff to have but um Fletcher Long was the longtime prosecutor in the county, and I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and he talks about Conley and his shady past.
10: Coolidge was a professional gambler. He was uh, hooked in with the Hot Springs people. He worked at Hot Springs. Uh, he has worked in Vegas. Uh, but he he was... He grew, he grew up a professional uh gambler, crap gang, game, poker games, uh all that stuff that was going on frequently around here, post World War Two, when everybody was home from the war, uh, still alive, making some money and happy. And, and glad to go gamble every now and then. So Coolidge was a professional gambler. Uh Coolidge got himself elected city councilman, then mayor, then sheriff, and there were a lot of people that resented him for doing that with his background, including a lot of people in various police agencies. So was he a crook? I guess at one time. Was he a crook when all of this was going on? Not to my knowledge.
1: I'm curious, when you called him up and said you wanted to talk about this former sheriff, mm-hmm. was he eager to talk right away?
9: He was fine with yeah. it. Uh, yeah, he said, I'll tell you whatever whatever I can. You know, it's been, what, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, but um, he he was quite open to it. He still uh, is is up and active. He's retired as prosecutor, but... I believe he still has a law office there in town.
1: All right, so what's next? We've got the the shady past here of
10: of
9: the sheriff. And you have all the rumors that he is running the county as basically a a racketeer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in comes a a television journalist by the name of Jack Hill.
1: And if you're of a certain age and you watched... Arkansas Television, you're familiar with that name.
9: Especially uh, Northeast Arkansas. Yes. He was in uh, Jonesboro at KAIT, which is the ABC affiliate up there, and he was an investigative reporter along with being an anchor. But he put together uh, a 30 minute investigative report on uh, Coolidge Conley investigating him, and here's a clip from that report. This is
11: the description of Conley. In April of 1969. Quote, has been a gambler and involved in gambling all of his lifetime in and around Forest City, Arkansas and in the Hot Springs area, was a pit boss at the Bridge Street Club in 1967 and is an associate of Howard Johnson and Jack Digby at the Ohio Club. End of quote. According to law officers both those clubs were well known for illegal gambling activity in Hot Springs back in the 1960s. And we've talked to a number of people who would concur that Conley was a gambler. Several said the first real-paying job Conley ever had was when he was elected mayor. The label some give Conley is professional gambler.
10: Well, I've always known him as, uh, just as a gambler, and uh, or any other kind of uh, operator outside of the law. And until he uh, got to be mayor for our city,
9: Jack Hill. Uh, actually feared for his life Mm -hmm. and there were some instances that we'll talk about later that rightly so that he was but um now we we have this investigative piece that comes out in arkansas so it has a little bit of influence but mainly locally Mm -hmm. well abc news Finds out about it, and so they get 2020 uh, looking into it. So they do their own investigation based on the information from Jack Hill, and 2020 painted an even grimmer picture of the high sheriff. And you hear Coolidge Conley at the very beginning of this clip. Well, I have no comment for 2020.
11: Although the bantam-sized Connolly hardly fits anyone's stereotype of the outlaw Southern Sheriff, residents like O'Neal Webb, who knew him, say he would not hesitate to use violence against his enemies.
7: I heard him say he'd get a man killed for $500.
11: Fred Odom was a captain in the Arkansas State Police and investigated Connolly for
0: years. I guess I would call him a kingpin in a small uh, mafia-type organization in the
10: South.
11: In fact, Conley, who's now 64, has a history of troubles with the law. In 1954, he was convicted in neighboring Tennessee for gambling. And in 1963, he was convicted here at the federal courthouse in Little Rock on four counts of willful failure to file income tax returns. Despite his criminal record, Conley was elected sheriff in 1980 and started a gambling ring that operated right
0: out of the sheriff's department.
1: Point out that this was when Primetime news magazine, like 2020, would have tens of millions of viewers. Oh, absolutely. network television was still king at this
9: point. That's right. So a lot of people people saw this. It was usually on Friday nights, Mm -hmm. uh, high viewership. And so it got even more attention. Uh, You know, you've got a normally quiet section of rural Arkansas that's suddenly under the microscope again. Right. So, um, you know, it got enough attention that uh, prosecutors uh, called a grand jury to look into it, and they ended up uh, charging Sheriff Connolly with 30 counts. Uh, You know, they ranged from extortion, arson, gambling, to drugs, uh, smuggling and selling, that they were being— They'd go into the evidence locker, and suddenly all the marijuana, the hundreds of pounds of marijuana that was in there is gone. So he stands trial in the winter of 1988 and found this in the archives. Uh, One of our reporters, Vicki Newton, uh, reports on uh, his verdict
12: It took the jury almost four hours to find Coolidge-Conley guilty of seven counts of extortion and one count of gambling.
7: I hope that this will put an end to the controversy uh, and bring uh, a good resolution of the problems that have occurred to the good people in St. Francis County.
12: Conley and his attorney had hoped for an acquittal on each count.
0: I feel sure we will.
12: The verdict came after three days of testimony, with perhaps the most telling coming from Conley's former chief deputy, Evan Dean Sambo Hughes, who plea bargained with the government. Hughes testified that he and Conley made black nightclub owners pay them shakedowns to ignore their gambling operations, and that Conley ran a gambling house in the county jail. In closing arguments today, Conley's attorney called Hughes a crook, and a devil who made a deal with the government.
10: They made a deal with him. They schooled him and they made a deal with him. Him facing 150, 250 years in the penitentiary, he just, they made a deal with him and he accepted it.
12: As for the government, it maintained its argument that Conley was a corrupt sheriff, who misled the people of his county and tried to pin his crimes on Sambo Hughes. The government says it investigated Coolidge Conley for at least four years. They say today is a victorious culmination of that work and their efforts to bring to justice a man they say was responsible for an era of corruption in St. Francis County. Vicki Newton, Channel 7 News.
9: Guilty. And um, it didn't take them long. Four hours, I think she said they deliberated yeah. on all, on all the counts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you know when you're having to go through that many yeah. counts and then determine which ones, and I I believe they came up with seven, yeah, seven or eight counts. But um, the next month he's sentenced by federal Judge G. Thomas Isley, and that's how this goes.
8: Last month, former St. Francis County Sheriff Coolidge Conley and his lawyer, Mike Easley, were confident.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. feel very good about
8: it. At today's sentencing, Conley still professed his innocence, this time by way of a letter. Conley said the jury was wrong when it convicted him of harassing black nightclub owners. But he did say, quoting here, As to the gambling, I know it was wrong. I was just too ignorant to know better. In looking back, all of us should have been arrested at the time. The judge, however, wasn't impressed. He sentenced Conley to two 10-year terms. Judge Eisley said, it was one of the most serious crimes that can be committed, abuse of the public trust. Here we have an officer of the law shaking down the most vulnerable people in the county for gambling. The sentence could have been 160 years instead of 20, but U.S. Attorney Chuck Banks says he's satisfied.
7: I think it was a very serious and significant sentence for a man his age, and I think the crime uh, that that we proved uh, was appropriate. So you know, when you were reading off
1: the things he was charged with, the one he decides to try to defend himself with is the gambling. Like I shouldn't have been doing that. It's like, right, buddy? There's extortion. There's arson. There are far more serious drug dealing.
9: Right. Far more serious things
1: than gambling.
9: Well, and there there were all those allegations, including that right before election time, he would go to all the the black. Gambling clubs, secret gambling clubs around town and would kind of give them a pass. Mm. And that's how he he would win elections.
1: I mean, this is—if you saw this in a movie now, you'd roll your eyes and think this is just some sort of cheap trope, some cheap cliché.
9: Well, it's a 1970s Burt Reynolds movie, if you ask me. Yeah, you're right. You know, Gator has come to St. Francis County— So he could have gotten up to 130 years. Right. He gets 20.
4: Yeah.
9: Well, he ends up dying the next year Mm -hmm. uh, in prison at the age of 65. So that ends the the tale of Coolidge Conley. So Coolidge Conley died in prison. Wayne Dumont died in
1: prison. Yes. And that kind of puts more or less, at least with the most high-profile – Uh, nefarious characters of this story puts a period at the end of the story.
9: It does. I um, was curious about the reporter, Mm. Jack Hill, Mm -hmm. who really brought all this to light. I mean, you're talking about a smaller television market that that usually doesn't make waves. Right. uh, And then this guy coming in and taking on uh, what... Many considered to be a dangerous character, and well, we could look into uh, Jack Hill in his involvement with this and what happened to him okay. because of it and what he ended up doing after that. As a matter of fact, Bob Cochran and Dale Carpenter, sure. who we know from here at the university, have just published a book on Jack Hill and— Well, we can talk about that next week if you'd like. I like this. I like this sort of history tag team action. Yeah.
1: This inspires that. So we'll talk about Jack. kind of like a law and order (laughs) when when you uh,
9: (laughs) tie in week to week.
1: Right. So we'll talk about that next week. Where can people find these and other archives?
9: Well, go to uh, the Pryor Center website. Just Google Pryor Center, P-R-Y-O-R, and go to the KATV section. And you'll see Ozarks at Large, and if you go there, you will see listed every show we have done, and just click on the title, and you'll be able to stream it from KUAF.com. Randy Dixon is with the
1: Pryor Center. We'll talk again next week. See you then. Summer is here. There's plenty to do. With the right planning, you can actually fill up most of this week without spending much money, just getting some gas in the car. Here's a brief suggestion of how to have a weekend of free entertainment. Tomorrow, the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks hosts another terrific Tuesday night with musical guest Duo Divina's admission-free. There will be opportunities to buy food and shaved ice. BGO members can enter the garden 30 minutes early at 4.30 to get a spot on the Great Lawn. More details at bgozarks.org. The Fayetteville Public Library observes another wild Wednesday this week with an afternoon performance from Stone Lion Puppet Theater. Stella Luna is about a young bat separated from her mother who finds herself in a nest of birds. The Story of Acceptance, based on the book by Janelle Cannon. Performance, Wednesday afternoon from 1.30 to 2.30. Large groups are encouraged since it's in the Event Center. You can learn more at faylib.org. Thursday morning, the next edition of Stories on the Square takes place in Tahlequah at the Cherokee National Peace Pavilion. During the 90-minute session, storytellers share stories that contain pieces of American Indian heritage. This week, Tanya still is the storyteller. After the storytelling ends, children can make a special themed craft to take home. The free event begins Thursday morning at 10. All details can be found at cherokeenation.com. Thursday night, there are at least two chances for enjoying free music. Downtown Springdale's next Live at Turnbow Park will feature Ensemble Iberica, presented by House of Song. The group performs music from Spanish flamenco and Portuguese fado to Turkish oud and classic country. That concert begins at 6.30. Also free Thursday night, the next Gully Park concert in Fayetteville. Funk Factory on stage. It's also kids' night. That means an inflatable obstacle course, jumbo-sized lawn games, face painting, and more. Concert and games from 6.30 to 8.30. More free music Friday at the Ramble along the Razorback Greenway in Fayetteville. The weekend start series will continue with the Jake Herzog Trio beginning at 5.00. The Ozark Folk Jamboree at the Butterfield Stage in downtown Rogers includes multiple bands, both Friday and Saturday nights. Among those playing this weekend, Arkansas with Chucky Wags, Eureka Strings, Ashton Barbary, and Rachel Amons. Friday night's music starts at 6. Saturday, the show starts at 5. No admission, though you can spend money to reserve a table either night. Full schedule and details at railyardlive.com. Saturday morning, free guided bike trail ride in Bentonville. It starts at 10 at Lawrence Plaza, and while free, it does require registration at bikeschoolbentonville.com. Saturday night, the Siloam Springs Music Festival will present several musical ensembles, including Sons of Otis Malone, the Siloam Springs Children's and Adults Choir, the Siloam Jazz Band, and Siloam Community Orchestra. Music starts at 7.30 at the Chautauqua Amphitheater in downtown Siloam Springs, behind the Public Library. And Sunday afternoon, the always free Mountain Street Stage Concert Series continues at the Fayetteville Public Library, beginning at 2 with the Dead Horse Mountain Band.
9: If you have a business or organization within KUAF's listening area and want to support public radio while connecting our thousands of engaged listeners with your services, consider becoming a KUAF business member today. Starting at just $500, you'll be linked on our business members directory and mentioned during our spring and fall on our fund drives. Sign up today at KUAF.com.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. Tens of thousands of people turned out Saturday evening to celebrate LGBTQ plus pride in downtown Fayetteville. Friday evening, a more somber trans pride event occurred. Over a 1,000 trans men, women, teens, and allies marched from Dixon Street to the Fayetteville Square for a political rally to protest rising anti-trans legislation in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich files this audio postcard.
4: Um, my name is Angel. I use any pronouns. I'm just here to support the LGBT community. I'm part of it, so obviously, I want to do everything
5: I can to help out.
8: My name is Mandy. I am she, her, and I am here to support all the trans folks that are in Arkansas and beyond because. It's important that they feel the love and support from all the people around.
2: Hello, it's uh, McKenna. She, her. I'm here to. This is actually my first time at the march in Arkansas because I moved from Florida, but I'm here to really support the the community and uh, love is love and just you know enjoy life. Brooks Nelson, he, him, his, and here as an ally to be here to show up and support, um, it's, it's important that the people know that everyone deserves to hear a voice. Hi, I'm Simone Cottrell, pronouns are she, her, nie. and and yeah. nyet is Khmer uh, for beloved because there are no pronouns in the Khmer language, um, it turns out there's not a lot of pronouns in most brown languages. <laughs> Um, And I am here celebrating and supporting my trans friends who have fought so hard um, to fight against the hateful legislation in Arkansas. In Arkansas, um, the slogan used to be the land of opportunity. And I want that to come back for our trans friends, communities, siblings, anyone who identifies as a marginalized individual in this state. My name is Brandon Moore, Um, he, him. I feel like as a
9: cisgendered white male, I should be here to support those who have not had the privilege in life that I have.
3: My name is Margarita Solorzano and uh, I'm here to support our community. Uh, it is important that every person in our community feel safe, feel uh, treated with dignity and respect. So that is, uh, that is important to give a message that, to the families that uh, your child is your child regardless of their identity.
0: Hi, my name is Sinanthrope. I'm here tonight to rally together with my brothers and
7: sisters in uh, just together in one cause.
5: Uh, my name is Danny Perholis. Uh, I go by he, him. Uh, I'm here to support my child who is a non-binary teenager. And uh, they're, they were part of the march and they were at the rally.
0: My name is Richard Gathright, he, him, and I am the director of Northwest Arkansas Pride. The, the turnout has been absolutely incredible. We started this as our third annual Trans March. Last year we did it in conjunction with the Pride Parade, but but we feel that it's important to separate them. Um, it's, it's very important because trans people deserve their own recognition because of all of the trauma that they've been put through in this country recently.
1: People and sounds connected to the Friday night Trans March that was part of the Pride Fayetteville weekend. That postcard provided... By Ozarks at Larges, Jacqueline Froelich. Tomorrow on Ozarks, getting a sense of black Northwest Arkansas.
7: We just started kind of brainstorming and wondered what it would look like if we extrapolated out of their report and did that deeper dive look uh, into the state of black Northwest Arkansas.
1: The state of black Northwest Arkansas census is live online. We'll learn more on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. and by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large.
11: From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas songs.
4: Some gals they like babies and houses and things, but give me the feel of a horse that has wings. i ride him straight up, like all cowboys do. I'm a straight ride, last see a she buckaroo. There's a secret and
11: life for which I sure won't. I'm Patsy Montana was born October 30, 1908, as Ruby Blevins in Jesseville, Arkansas. Her father, Augustus sang in church, let and her mother, Victoria, played the organ. The Blevins family moved to Hope when Ruby was two. At age 14, Ruby and her brother were invited to sing at the opening of a bridge and got paid $5. In 1930, she moved to California with an older brother to study classical violin at what is now UCLA, but dropped out after winning a talent contest by singing Jimmy Rogers songs. In 1932, now known professionally as Patsy Montana, she did her first recordings. In 1933, while taking Hope Watermelons to the Chicago World's Fair, she visited famed radio station WLS in Chicago. She stayed for 15 years as vocalist for the Prairie Ramblers. In August 1935, of what was essentially the 26-year-old's first major recording session, Patsy Montana recorded her signature song. It became the first song by a female country artist to sell a million copies. I want to be a cowboy's sweetheart.
4: I want to be a cowboy's sweetheart. I want to learn to rope and to ride. I want to ride over the plains and the desert out west of the.
11: Montana was a talented vocalist, writer, guitarist, and fiddler, and in 1939 she appeared in the Gene Autry movie Colorado Sunset. The same year she wrote and recorded this vocalion 78, The Moon Hangs Low on the Ohio.
4: love lies on the hills where we used to stray. My heart yearns for you, don't you love me too? He you said you'd be mine someday. The moon hangs lonely oh, high oh, as I wait alone for you. In
11: 1948, Patsy Montana returned to southwest Arkansas, settling in Hot Springs. She had two daughters and appeared on the Spa City's famed KTHS radio station and returned to California in 1952. Although Montana had sporadic health problems, a 60-year marriage and a family, she never left music. She died on May 3, 1996, the same year she was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Here's Patsy Montana with I Want to Be a Cowboy's Sweetheart. (laughs) ¶¶
4: West of the great divide, I wanna hear the coyotes howling While the sun sinks in the west, I wanna be a cowboy's sweetheart that's alive. All right.
11: It's another song of Arkansas from Little Rock. I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas.
9: Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios.
7: Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas since 1998.
3: Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud.
1: This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Salem Springs, and Grove, Oklahoma. A listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Frolick, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Today's show assembled in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for listening. Back tomorrow.
0: Opera in the Ozarks presents its 72nd summer season now through July 21st with 22 performances at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs, plus special events in Fayetteville and beyond. Featuring 40 premier vocalists from across the nation, this year's operas include Elixir of Love, The Tender Land, and Orpheus in the Underworld. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. Support for KUAF comes from the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas. The Clinton School's Master of Public Service degree balances rigorous policy and data analysis with effective communication and relationship building. Students complete unique field projects from local work in Arkansas communities and across the world. More information at clintonschool.uasys.edu or by calling the Office of Admissions. Five zero one six eight three five two two eight.